Welcome to the Delano Newsmakers podcast, bringing context to the stories that matter in Luxembourg. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Newsmakers. Today, we're talking about the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act, two EU legislative initiatives that aim to regulate big tech companies like Amazon, Microsoft or Facebook. On the 25th of November, the Council of the EU adopted a position on both of them. But there is still much work to be done on this progressive legislature. With me today to shed a light on this is Professor Mark Cole from the University of Luxembourg. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Theo, thank you very much for welcoming me. I'm looking forward to our talk. Yeah, and uh, I understand you've done quite some research on both topics, the DSA and the DMA. So can you um, maybe give me a little bit of a... Um, a brief on, on what your work is? Yes, I'd very happily do so. Um, well, I'm, I'm professor for media and telecommunication law at the University of Luxembourg. And although these two pieces of legislation are not necessarily only media oriented, it is quite natural for a media law researcher to, to take a very close look because they've got something to do with uh, information dissemination, uh, online content dissemination. So obviously, <laughs> when the idea came up, I immediately basically jumped on it and, and took a close look over the past. Um, one and a half years or so, I would say my main research focus was indeed these two pieces of uh, um, initiatives of law that the European Commission put forward. And since I also direct an, an institute, the Institute of European Media Law, and in that context, we actually even were asked to, to produce a study on one of the two um, um, proposals. It is more or less my daily food. Right. So let's start with the DMA or the Digital Markets Act, because I understand that's the one that will impact um, companies based in Luxembourg more, such as Amazon, for example. So can you maybe explain it a little bit? I, I will try to do so uh, as, as briefly as possible, as um, it is quite a complex uh, piece of law, but I, I indeed find it important to not forget about the DMA when one talks about the DSA, because the European Commission, when they proposed it, said this is part of a legislative package. It basically comes together. It's one box, the Digital Services Act package. It's a bit irritating because mm -hmm. the name is Digital Services Act package, but it's made up of the DSA, the Digital Services Act, and the DMA. And the Digital Markets Act, as the name suggests is uh, oriented at creating what they call fair and contestable markets in the digital space. What does that mean? It is. It has become clear that in the um, online sector, in the platform sector, due to network effects, the position that big companies can reach is usually very close or at least uh, near um, to monopolies, which is quite unusual because we have functioning competition law instruments that are more or less oriented at avoiding such situations because we all know that in monopolies there is a risk that there are lock-in effects, for example, people have to rely on uh, one service or one company. And the idea now is to say, if that is the case, that in the digital sector, think of, for example, a social media network, mm -hmm. the more uh, followers you have the, or the more uh, clients, the better it is. And it's very difficult for somebody else to, to establish something next to it. And um, based on this uh, um, assessment, the Commission said it is necessary to create um, certain rules which already kick in before even a company potentially has become dominant on a market and then abuses that dominance, which is the moment where, for example, competition law instruments, also the European Union, can already kick in. But then it's basically too late. And so the idea of the DMA is, and that's why it's going to become relevant for the companies that have a certain size, mm. 
and that offer certain types of services, the so-called core platform services. And for those companies in future, there will be a list of do's and don'ts, as we call them. So certain obligations, what they have to do. Uh, for example, they have to share certain data with, with the companies that use their services. And there are certain don'ts, so prohibitions, certain things they cannot do. For example, if they have a platform and they offer services on that platform as a company themselves, then they are not allowed to self-preference their own services versus competitors who are also using the platform. So the basic idea is you do not have a mother company offering certain services and then promoting them more than the competitors want. That's right. what they uh, would like to achieve with a fair and contestable market. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, is it the case that people would feel more like the services that they use are more correct or more um, there is less improper handling of it? And in a certain sense, would people have a clearer conscience by using these services then? Well, it, that could be. That could be an outcome, but the, the reality is the, the DMA is quite neutral. So the, the DMA was not created because uh, there is an assumption that all companies who have a strong market position automatically are abusing that or automatically are using it to the detriment of the individual end user. But there is an assumption that if there is more competition, then eventually the users will also have more choice. And for example, um, to lock in your users into an environment where, for example, your app store only offers the users if they have a specific uh, hardware or use a specific operating system, only specific apps, mm -hmm. automatically means they might have a reduced choice. And if the DMA can help break that up a little bit, then yes, uh, it, the users will get a better offer. It, it won't be possible anymore to say just because you're using one operating system, it is impossible for an app um, um, developer to be on that app store. Mm -hmm. So also about the digital markets, I understand that it's more advanced compared to the Digital Services Act and it's closer to being enacted. Can you give us a little rundown of how these two are going? So, so that, that is an observation which is also correct in the sense that we are in the midst of the legislative procedure and we never know what happens until the end of it, until the final votes in Parliament and Council are taken. Both its co-legislators in the European Union have to give in the majority their vote at the end. But in the sense um, of advanced, why? Because the Council has very clearly given its position on the 25th of November on both legislative proposals. And for the DMA, it's quite interesting to see that the vast majority of the provisions that the Commission proposed, the Council is not touching which basically means they're very happy with them. They, they, they agree on them. So you already know that the changes that the council would like to see concerning the DMA are less than in maybe past uh, legislative initiatives where the commission makes a proposal and the council also changes everything. Mm. And the other reason why it is closer to completion is because the European Parliament the leading committee, uh, the IMCO committee, has also taken a vote where they've integrated all of the positions of the other committees which were uh, involved. And that vote is going to be formalized in about uh, two weeks. And then we have also the parliament position. Mm -hmm. And that basically means within a few weeks, probably at the beginning of January, Parliament and Council can enter in what we call the trilogue, which is called a trilogue because the Commission moderates the process of the Parliament and the Council trying with small groups to find a compromise. And if you look at the individual provisions, you will find out, as we stand now, there's probably quite a few where Parliament and Council will not have a big um, controversy about. And 
that means the procedure as such could also be um, you know relatively fast mm -hmm. right so let's move on to the digital services act yes. then if i understand correctly this one is more um, this is more close, uh, more further away from com completion, but also it might impact users directly more than the DMA. That's is that right? absolutely um, correct, the way you observe it, because let's go first on the why is it closer to users. The, the Digital Services Act is in a way much broader. So the Digital Markets Act will apply to just a handful of companies or maybe two handful of companies. And I, I mean it the way I say it. It's not like hundreds, it's not dozens, it's just going to be a few. So for those few, they will have to do a lot of adaptation of their internal processes. But that's it. The DSA will apply to all online intermediaries. And one of the things that will change is there's going to be some fundamental rules which all types of online intermediation services will have to, um, will have to respect in future. Then there are additional ones which um, only certain types of online platforms have to um, respect. For example, there's a category category created, the so-called very large online platforms, the VLOPs, as I call them, or as most people mm -hmm. refer to them in, in short, where they have much more obligations. But there is a, a basic set of obligations that will apply to all. And one of them is that users will in future have a lot more of transparency, for example, when it comes to the terms of conditions um, under which they can use those services. So the companies will be obliged to put in very clear, unequivocal manner under what uh, circumstances, what type of uh, service is offered, what data is collected. So, so it, is, it will have a direct impact for the individual user. Again, maybe they will not feel it immediately, but for example, if you use a, um, an online service where you can leave a message, okay? For example, you comment something mm -hmm. and your comment gets taken down or gets blocked. At the moment, it is very unclear what powers do the platforms have to do that? And what powers or what, what rights do you have as a user to go against that if you think that the blocking was done in an uh, illegal manner or was not justified? And in future, there's going to be a rule which applies to any type of intermediary if they um, share users' content and they, they have certain policies in action, then the trans there has to be transparency about how these policies are uh, formulated, what the processes are, and individual users will get the right to challenge these decisions, to ask for explanation. Um, if you notify um, a platform about a potentially illegal or assumed illegal content, the platform has to has to react to it. They have to, have to acknowledge that they received this notification. And if they take action on it, they have to inform you. So there's going to be a lot more um, integration of the users in all of these processes. Mm -hmm. So essentially, if uh, somebody posts something on a social media platform like Instagram or Facebook, it gets taken down, then they, they have an actual reason as opposed to getting a generic message. Exactly. Right now. And, and you might not even get a generic message, right? You might just find out or somebody tells you and then you don't even know where to approach, whom to approach, uh, to find yeah. out, to contest that decision. And that's going to be very different in future. Mm -hmm. and, and very interestingly, by the way, um, in, the, in the decisive article, in, in the proposal, and I'm sure that's going to go through as well as it is, it says that the terms of service have to be respecting fundamental rights. Mm. And you may know that there's been a discussion, not last also for some actions that were taken in the US, that certain decisions of the platforms you could challenge in view of uh, free speech, um, right. The, the right to freedom of expression. And until now, platforms could 
basically defend themselves in saying, we've got a private contract with our users. We set the terms. And if the terms say the content is not allowed to violate community standards, it's our standards. If you have in the provision now, no, no, you also have to take into consideration fundamental rights such as free speech. It means you cannot just say we don't like nudity. That's why any image that has nudity will be taken down. You will have to explain why this type of nudity has to be taken down mm. against having to have the possibility or giving the possibility to the users to actually freely express their opinion. And that as well, is, it's, it's a cultural change. It's a kind of a, um, a turning point in the way platforms have to perceive their own position and the rights that users are given. But one of the reasons why there is a delay in the parliament in trying to find a common position, if everything goes well, there is the idea that also mid-December there will be a vote within the um, leading committee. And then that could lead to a plenary vote in, in, um, in January, after which the trilogue could start. But it's not yet absolutely sure, because if you listen into the hallways of the parliament, there is still a lot of fighting going on about, I mean, fighting in a, not in a, in a negative sense, but there's a lot of discussion still going on about finding um, solutions for certain quite important elements of the DSA, mm. sort of compromise amendments that are being sent forth and back, because the recent revelations of Francis Haugen maybe had an impact on that, to say we have to take more the user in focus. Because what she is basically saying is that a lot of things happen to the detriment of the user and there is not enough being done. And the parliament has clearly, you probably know this, that they, they had a five-hour-long uh, intervention, I think it was five hours, by Frances Haugen, where she gave all of the insider knowledge that mm. she had shared. By the way, a lot of that knowledge was already known to many policymakers and was also known to many regulators, but it, it became very public now. And I think the parliament is um, also a little bit hesitant to make sure that the goal of the DSA to also protect the consumer better is put into the focus. It's not so much about the companies and getting legal certainty. It's about making sure that things that were illegal offline also are illegal online. So we've been talking generally about the EU, but a lot of these companies are based in the US or founded in the US. Can you draw a little line between how things are in the US and how things are in the EU? Because from a certain perspective, this new EU legislature is actually more progressive than what they have in the US. You know, um, some colleagues in the US in conferences that I've been speaking at in the last months uh, tend to say something like, get it right in Europe. Because only if you do it right in Europe, we will actually manage to get a, um, a critical mass to uh, support the changes which are also discussed in the US. So the, the background to that is, because all of these what we now call big tech companies were basically startups uh, 20, 25 years ago in Silicon Valley. And that's why the US was the first to shape a law that enabled the online space to develop in a relatively liberal manner, to, to put it carefully, you know, mm. diplomatically. Uh, so basically, they, they introduced in the Communications Decency Act a provision which said providers such as host providers will not be held liable for illegal content as long as they don't know about the content. Once they know about the content, they have to act on it. But if they don't know, it's fine. So basically, if you put out a platform there, people upload all kinds of disgusting, illegal, problematic things. It's, it's not an issue for you because you only put up the platform. Yeah. And we in Europe followed that 
example in the e-commerce directive, which was passed mm -hmm. in 2000. And until today, and this is quite uh, tough to acknowledge, until today, the main piece of legislation for the online sector in Europe is still the e-commerce directive. Now, if you go back 20 years, which maybe many uh, listeners cannot even do because 20 years ago, they were much too young to know what was happening online. Those were the days that while we were talking uh, now in an interview like this, maybe one website would have been completed because the bandwidth was of a kind that it was impossible to have moving images. I always tell my students, you, you cannot even imagine this because you are used to watching a movie on your smartphone when you're going home on the tram. Mm. impossible 20 years ago. It was a space where, you know, there was things like Yahoo and uh, uh, um, Alta Vista as a search engine. And, and all, of, all of that was basic. It was a little bit like a laboratory that should be able to, to explore and develop uh, possibilities to the benefit of the user. Now, today, we're talking about a completely different world. Most young people take a vast majority, if not most, of their information from the web. And so we have to reconsider, are we still, do we still have the appropriate framework for this new situation? And we've come to the conclusion we don't, because there is, there is dangerous disinformation, there is dangers of illegal content, young people are exposed or minors are exposed to really problematic content online, and there is little that can be done about it. And in the US, as well as in the EU, until the DSA will be enacted, we have a relatively... Uh, well, a blunt uh, knife, if you want, in the sense mm. of we, we, there's not that much we can do against illegal content currently. And I think if we manage to enact the DSA, there will be a spillover effect, except this time it will be the other way around. Okay, The Atlantic mm. waves are not coming from the US to Europe, but they will be going from the Europe to the US. And the, the, they've, there's been a lot of proposals in the US as well that the Communications Decency Act should be changed or there should be a new platform regulation, but it has not yet received full, full support or attention. Why? Because there is a lot of business-friendly lawmakers as well in the US that say, mm, we have to be careful a little bit that our companies, uh, which are the dominant companies, you know, if you look at the top five companies of the world, most of them are in that list. Uh, we have to be careful that we don't, uh, um, you know, cool them down too much. But if Europe does this, it's going to be very similar like with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. I think they will be setting a gold standard, which de facto means the rest of the world will either follow or they will have problems in offering services in Europe. And as a footnote, why? Because the DSA and the DMA clearly have a, an application which is based in Europe, but it means whether the companies that offer services in Europe are based in Europe. We don't care. If you offer services in Europe, you follow our rules. And if you don't, you're out of the market. And that is a very strong signal. Mm -hmm. Very finally, if we can just zoom in uh, back on Luxembourg yep. uh, regarding the Digital Service Act and the Digital Markets Act, where does Luxembourg stand in the sense of recently after this um, position that we mentioned, uh, Economy Minister Franz Fayot made a statement saying that Luxembourg supported 100% the DMA uh, presumably the DSA as well, and that this is an issue that was very close to him mm -hmm. as well. So what's the situation yeah, here? It's, it's very clearly um, um, a topic of high relevance for Luxembourg uh, in terms of the, the business uh, um, environment here. And what Luxembourg has uh, issued as a statement when the position was adopted at the council is that they are strongly in favor of two or three basic approaches that can be seen both in DSA and DMA, but that they also insist that that should go through like that and it shouldn't be watered down in the negotiations with the parliament. And one is there should be a European-wide approach, meaning 
a maximum harmonization approach where member states do not have any leeway anymore to, to add additional laws. Luxembourg uh, calls that in their position the so-called gold plating, not to mm. be uh, mixed up with my gold standard of before, but the gold plating in the sense of that things are put on top. So Luxembourg is against that. They say it should be a European-wide uh, but then also fully harmonized law. The second is that the country of origin principle um, is retained, which means that one state takes care of the companies which are under their jurisdiction, according to the EU law, mm. or alternatively, it's going to be the European Commission. So a centralized enforcement scheme, which, for example, they propose for the DMA, that is done by the European Commission. And to a lesser extent in the DSA, there's going to be cooperation procedures. But there, Luxembourg insists that the country of origin principle is um, respected. And that clearly is, at least if you ask me, in view of some companies which have their seat here in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. Right then. Um, very, very finally now. Since you mentioned that you work in the university, but you also uh, work in, a, in another institution, are there any uh, webinars or events covering the DSA, DMA, but also other uh, events that people might be interested in? Well, we, we do try to be always up to date with the conference activities, which are not only the, um, addressed to you know experts, but also open to, to the general public. I, I maybe would like to point out one big conference where we always participate. It's the Computers, Privacy and Data Protection Conference, end of January every year in Brussels, but it's an online event as well. Um, and there, for example, the university has several um, panels. One will be discussing cybersecurity, where we stand in terms of the network information um, um, security directive. Another one concerns um, um, secret investigation uh, methods um, and, and how we can make them more transparent. So we, we have quite a few more data protection privacy oriented uh, topics there. That's uh, end of January, CPDP we call it. And we regularly also host uh, conferences at the University of Luxembourg. At the moment there is none yet um, on DSA, DMA, but I'm sure when the um, negotiations will be ongoing in the trilogue we will have more activity there and i'm looking forward to maybe discuss with some of our listeners there as well right then that's great uh, mark thank you very much for your time and for your insight thank you Theo. and uh, thanks a lot to our listeners you can find in the show notes a link to the events that we just mentioned and uh, that's that for today's episode but we'll catch you in a few weeks time until then take care Thanks for listening. You can listen to all our podcasts on Delano.lu and on all podcast platforms. And subscribe to the Delano newsletter for all the latest Luxembourg news in English. Sign up on Delano.lu.